the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Harbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Really grateful that you took part of your day and tuned in to hear the program. This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, whatever's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us and ask. You can do that by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your question in that way. All you have to do is contact us. By the way, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of your phone and use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number. It's 340 340- 9585. Don't have anything going on on Tuesday, so we'll get right to your questions. Our first one is from. It's coming up. I know it's there. Oh, this is from Caleb from our mobile app. Uh, Pastor Ron, what are the dispensations? Now, Caleb, you obviously know that dispensationalism is a method of interpretation. So let me share the different dispensations. There are seven of them. Now, there are um, people that are so far out of balance, they'll find 15, 20, and even more. uh, Some hyper-dispensationalism, it's called. And that's not healthy. I told uh, uh, somebody in a response to a question yesterday that, that extremes are not good. So there are seven dispensations. And by the way, dispensationalism is not new. Jesus was a dispensationalist. Paul was a dispensationalist. It was made popular in the 1800s and then later in the um, the, the 20th century by C.I. Schofield. Um, But um, it it is the only real solid way of interpreting your Bible in context. Now, the seven dispensations, and I hope I can make this make sense to you, Caleb. The first one is innocence, and that describes the time before Adam and Eve fell. Uh, When they were born, uh, they were born without sin. Uh, They were born God giving them a choice, but they were born perfect in the image of God. So uh, innocence, we know that dispensation didn't last very long. The second dispensation is man under conscience. Um, Adam, of course, after the fall, um, was um, governed by his conscience. Uh, Paul talks about conscience in Romans chapter 1, how God reveals himself to us first in creation, then in conscience, then later through the law. 
Uh, the third dispensation is human government. You remember that after the Tower of Babylon, uh, after the flood, even though God had promised there'd never be another flood, uh, man set apart um, uh, a government for himself. That's why God scattered them, because they were doing um, um, evil things, rebelling against God. But that's the third dispensation, human government. The fourth is the dispensation of promise. God chose one man, Abraham, and made him unconditional promises, the Abrahamic covenant. And this is just the promise where God gave these unconditional promises that cannot fail. If even one of those promises to Abraham failed even once, then God has proven that he's not really God. So that was the covenant or the dispensation of promise. Next would be the dispensation of law. We all are familiar with that. It was Moses. Moses was called up to the mountain. He was given the Ten Commandments. Later, he would be given the rest of the laws, and man was under law. Now, the problem, of course, with the dispensation of law is that it never could produce what God wanted, fellowship with man. Law only proved that we were guilty, and God wanted us, needed us to be declared innocent of all charges. Uh, So that's why he sent Jesus. And then, of course, that leads to the next dispensation. This is the dispensation of time that we're currently in. It's man under grace. Now, it's not going to last, I don't think, much longer. Uh, Certainly, Jesus is going to come. He'll rapture the church. He will judge the world through um, um, the Great Tribulation. Um, And and, uh, um, that's the next thing on the order um, but but man under grace is where we are now. God's unmerited favor is infinitely ill-deserving. And the seventh dispensation, Caleb, hasn't actually occurred yet. That will be man under the reign of Jesus. And of course, that's a reference to his thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. So, um, Caleb, I hope that answers your question. Those dispensations are important. Because there's no other way to understand the Bible in context. I'm going to give you just two more minutes here. When we study our Bibles, if we're going to be work men, work women, rightly dividing the Word of God, we have to know that when God gave the law to Moses, he wasn't speaking to us. When God gave the promises to Abraham, he wasn't speaking to us. So we have to understand that if we're going to adequately uh, divide the Word of God. Um, when when uh, Moses lived, there was no understanding of grace. So we have to be dispensationalists to read the Bible in context. And when you understand that, it takes away a lot of the mystery about things like the Sermon on the Mount and all of those those uh, passages that we struggle with. You know, Jesus saying, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, we can't be perfect. So what do we do? What we do is simply we rate to God under grace. So thank you for the question, Caleb. I appreciate it very much. Here's a question from our mobile app from Chip. Uh, Pastor on in Psalm 137, verses 7 to 9, is verse 8 talking about Persia. Uh, let me read it. It's just three verses. They're not long. It says, uh, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Now, we know from uh, some of the historical books that the Edomites um, joined the Babylonians in in their destruction of Israel. So the Edomites were complicit. Um, tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Here's the verse that he talks about. Daughter, of, daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. And then verse 9, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. And the question is, is he talking about Persia? Uh, He's actually talking about the Medo-Persian Empire in the short-term fulfillment of this. This is, remember, it's also prophetic. It's not just a psalm. It's prophetic. The short-term fulfillment, of course, when Cyrus um, led the Medes and the Persians uh, sort of under the city and destroyed Babylon. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 5. Um, the Babylonians were paid back for what they did. Now, there's a much longer-term fulfillment that goes down to the end of the ages. And I think that is the primary reference here, um, Chip. I think the primary reference is is that these are the things that they're going to have happened to them. In other words, 
God will vindicate Israel. Israel's enemies will be destroyed. So it, it refers to the Medes and the Persians in the short term, but in the long term, it refers to the ultimate justice that's going to be um, obvious when Jesus returns and destroys all of the enemies. Babylon, as you know, is going to be um, a central player in the Great Tribulation, seven years. Um, literal Babylon will be where uh, the Antichrist rules from. Spiritual Babylon will be in Rome, the city of seven hills, seven mountains. Um, that's where the the uh, false prophet will uh, will direct the the ministry worshiping the Antichrist. And um, economic Babylon, of course, will be destroyed completely. You can read about that also in the book of Revelation. So good question. I appreciate that very, very much. Let's go to our next question. This one comes from Tony. Uh, Pastor Ron, if I believe in Jesus but do not believe in the Trinity, am I saved? Tony, you can't believe in the real Jesus without also believing in the Trinity, the triune God. Now, the word Trinity is not in our Bibles. I understand that. But God is presented to us as one God. That's very important. We're not talking about three gods here. One God, but manifest in three persons. Each of the persons of the Godhead have different ministries at different times. So to say that you believe in Jesus, who's the second person of the Trinity, but don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you're diminishing Jesus. You're, you're taking away from the fullness of who he is. And what I would hope that you would do, Tony, is just read the Bible without even thinking about the word Trinity. Read the Bible, and you're going to find out that the Father is called God. And I think most people, and probably your case as well, Tony, don't have any problem with that. We know that the Father is God. Uh, we believe that Jesus is God. That's essential. Only God can forgive sins. If Jesus isn't God, then we're lost in our sins. But we've also got verses that clearly indicate the Holy Spirit is God. Not one-third God, one-third God, one-third God, but they're all 100% God. They all share exactly the same attributes and characteristics. They just have different ministries. So, Tony, if you are a oneness believer. Uh, oneness is Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Uh, then you've got a heretical picture of who Jesus is. And when it comes to Jesus, if you believe in a heretical Jesus, you don't have the real Jesus, and that means you're not saved. Now, I don't want to be so black and white about this that I don't leave room for any gray area, because the truth is, Tony, is that there are people who don't really understand the Trinity, and they don't yet believe in it, and yet Jesus may already, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be working in their hearts, uh, and they will come around to what's true. But the one thing every heretic or every cult does is that they mess with the deity of Jesus Christ. And if you take anything away from him or add anything to him, you have a Jesus who isn't really the Jesus described in our Bibles. Tony, it's a really, really important doctrine. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Zach says, I know God loves me, but why won't he keep the devil from tempting me? Zach, I had a conversation just yesterday with some people about this very, very issue. Um, the devil's job is tempting. The devil's job is lying, trying to kill, to steal, and destroy. Um, God gives you the person of the Holy Spirit living in you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. So God allows the devil to tempt us because we can overcome the temptation. And God, I said to the person yesterday, wants to teach us to fight. We've got to fight a spiritual battle because the battle is always going to be there. And if God simply puts you in a little spiritual bubble wrap 
so that the devil could never tempt you. You would never be um, um, tempted to do anything wrong. Um, you'd stay a little protected baby in the bubble wrap. God wants you to learn how to fight. And so he allows the devil to tempt you. But remember what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. No temptation has seized you except that which is common man. We're all tempted. But then it says, and God is faithful. Zach, God wants you to know his faithfulness. He wants you to know that the next time you're tempted, the Holy Spirit will be right there to you, no, this is wrong, don't do it. Walk away from it. I think of Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife, even though it ended up costing him years in prison. We all face temptation. The rest of 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you're tempted, he'll offer a way out so that you can overcome, you can overrule that temptation. So because he loves you, he wants you to grow up. Now, Zach, I have no idea how old you are if you've got kids. But isn't it true? Now, I'm old, so for me, it was a different time. Uh, I don't want what I'm about to say to shock anybody and make them stop listening. But but when I grew up and somebody bullied me, I'd come home and tell my dad, Dad, they're bullying me at school. And he, he would respond by teaching me how to box, teaching me how to fight. My dad was pretty radical. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. When you go back to school in the morning, I want you to go up to that bully. I want you to pop him in the nose, hit him hard, make sure it counts. That was the way we dealt with bullies. And, well, the devil is a bully. And that's how we need to deal with him. The only difference is we don't pop him in the nose. Jesus will do it for us. So the next time you're tempted, say, Zach, say, God, I know you love me. And I know you wouldn't let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. So take my hand and get me out of this place. And then you just run. The Bible says flee from those temptations. Run away from it, just like Joseph did. Run away. And you'll learn that you can overcome temptation, that God is faithful no matter what. It's really an important question, Zach. I think too often we're taught in churches that God will protect us from anything bad happening, from any temptation. That's not true. We live in a fallen world and those things are going to happen and we're all going to be tempted. So, Zach, learn how to fight. Ephesians chapter 6 Gives you the equipment you need to fight. Let the Lord speak to your heart. Jeremy asks, can the devil read our minds? Jeremy, the answer is no. Um, The devil can certainly put thoughts into our minds. Um, He does that all the time. But he's not God. Only God can read our minds. Only God knows, knows what's going on. So no, the devil can't read our minds. We don't have to be afraid of the devil. We've got to respect him, respect his power. Um, I've had people tell me, well, I don't pray out loud because I don't want the devil to be able to know what I'm praying for. Believe me, if you're speaking to Jesus, he's going to protect you. So no, the devil cannot read your minds. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, thank you, sir. How are you today? Doing well, Jim. Thanks for asking. You don't know. This is uh, Alaska, Jim. Oh no! How are you? How are you doing? We are doing very good. Very good. Hey, hey, I got to ask you something. Are you done yep. complaining about hot weather yet? Uh, I, I'll always complain about hot weather, but it's only 50 <laughs> degrees, so I am not complaining up here. Oh, it's so good to hear your voice. My heart just jumped for joy. <laughs> I was thinking about you guys, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to call and say hey. I, I appreciate it. How's my girl doing? She is doing very good. Well, both of them are. That's what I mean. Please tell them I miss them. And when's the new baby coming? Uh, February. February. Well, we're praying every day. Yes, sir. And I'll tell you, being a grandpa is the best. (laughs) Oh, God bless you, Jim. Give Samuel a hug and kiss for me, too, will you? 
I sure will. Tell everybody we said hey. Give uh, Grandma Paula a hug and a kiss for us. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. I'll do it, Jim. Thanks for calling. Just knowing you're okay makes me just absolutely jump for joy. God bless you. God bless. Thanks. Oh, what a treat. I'm sorry that the rest of you were were forced to sort of just live listening on our our conversation. Uh, Jim worked here on staff. Uh, his uh, son-in-law is Pastor Samuel in uh, South Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, we planted a church up there. Sent him and Megan. And um, uh, boy, what a thrill to hear that they're doing well and hear from them. You know, that's the hardest part about being a pastor. People say, what's the hardest part about being a pastor? Uh, probably the hardest is watching people fall away. It causes so much pain. But the second hardest is saying goodbye to people. You know, God raises them up and we get to fall in love with them. Then he sends them out. And in this particular case, um, when when Alaska got Pastor Samuel and Megan and and uh, Jim and the family, he got the best. He got the best. God bless you. Thank you for going. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me go to uh, my next question. It is from Ben. He says, may I have your thoughts on F.B. Meyer and R.A. Torrey? Um, ben, I love them both, F.B. Meyer in particular. Um, his commentaries uh, in, in just about anything uh, are great. I especially love his New Testament commentaries. But, but he is uh, rock solid. R.A. Torrey is best known for his writings on prayer. Um, but uh, there, there's just uh, so much to recommend about R.A. Torrey. Both of them are old classics, especially R.A. Torrey. And uh, uh, I can't recommend them highly enough. Um, both of them were very instrumental in my early walk with the Lord and my development. You know, I would uh, spend all this time in the library trying to figure out what the Bible was saying. And I'd get these stacks and stacks of commentaries trying to figure out what it meant. And um, um, both of them, uh, R.A. Torrey's, so black and white, F.B. Meyer, uh, is just has, has wonderful insight. Uh, and uh, both of them were very instrumental in my development uh, as a believer uh, early in my walk. So I recommend them very, very highly. Thanks for asking. Here is an anonymous question. we got less than five minutes. Um, I don't think I can do this one in five minutes, so I'm going to go to the next one. I'll, I'll come back at the top of the break and do that one. Uh, this question is from Albert, and he wants to know, is the Southern Baptist Convention an orthodox group of churches? Um, Albert, they are. Uh, there are some things uh, doctrinally that, that uh, I would disagree with, um, but uh, they are perfectly orthodox. They have been used by the Lord uh, over the years. Some of my favorite preachers, Adrian Rogers was SBC. In fact, he was a past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, 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 yeah, they, they're orthodox. They are fruitful. Uh, I think sometimes they get a little bit too big and a little bit too government-oriented. Uh, but, um, yeah, they are an orthodox group of churches. My biggest issue now with the SBC, Albert, is that they are uh, a growing majority now uh, reformed churches. There are uh, Calvinists or Neo-Cals. They're called New Calvinists. Uh, these young guys are coming in and they're 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 presenting uh, a distorted view of the heart of God in 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 presenting their Calvinism. Um, but that doesn't take them out of orthodoxy. And you are most certainly welcome um, to uh, or to, to feel welcome in, in an SBC church. Um, Jack Graham is a is a great preacher. He's in the, the Dallas area, Prestonwood Baptist Church. Uh, but but you're going to find their theology doctrinally is pretty solid. Uh, one other small issue that you may run into, Albert, is that most, if uh, many of them, if not most of them, are um, cessationist in their beliefs as it relates to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We obviously at Calvary Chapel don't believe that that is a uh, a, a biblical view, uh, and yet at the same time. Um, 
doctrinally they're they're pretty solid and very very fundamental or orthodox. One other issue that you might find Albert in the SBC is that there are a large number of SBC churches that are unhealthily imbalanced uh, with regards to politics. Um, you know, they're they're churches that promote uh, extreme to the extreme. Um, a certain set of political agendas, right-wing politics, um, and and I think that's unhealthy. I don't think that's the job of the church. The job of the church is to teach you about Jesus, let Jesus transform your heart. Uh, but I don't think you have to worry at all about uh, about their orthodoxy. They are uh, very, very fruitful. So, Albert, uh, I hope that answers your question. Don't have time to get another question going. Uh, can I ask for prayers? Our, our ladies, the pastor's wives, are at their pastor's wives' retreat uh, in the Austin area today. They'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I spoke with Paula a little bit uh, this morning, and they're doing great and just waiting. Can't wait to hear from the Lord. But we would appreciate your prayers, not only that the Lord would speak to them uh, at the same time, however, that... Uh, that they would draw nearer to the Lord and get home safely tomorrow. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 we've got a couple callers on the line let's go to tanya from san leandro california tanya thanks for calling you're on the air hi papa how are you doing i'm doing really well thank you how about you Wonderful. I, I was uh, texting Mama Paula, and they're, man, they're sure blessed to have her there, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm, but I'm praying for you, though. I know you miss her when she's gone. <laughs> I'm useless. So. I'm absolutely hopeless and helpless when she's gone. <laughs> yep. I, I think Carl feels that same way when I'm gone, too. It's fast food you, week when I'm gone. You, you know, Tanya, right. Paula, Paula bought me some, some White Castle hamburgers from, from H-E-B. And, and I'm, I can't see very well, so she gave me the easiest possible way to put them in the microwave, just do them so I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, I put them in exactly the way she told me to. They were still cold, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. She'll be home soon, right? Yeah, tomorrow night. Okay, okay good. So I think you can make it one more night, Pop. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I have a question for you, Papa Ron. Um, I had a young gentleman in our home um, doing some work here, and, and uh, I was doing the study, and he noticed that I had my Bible opened, and so we were talking about, um, you know, church and salvation, and, and uh, he's, you know, uh, he's talking about baptism. I said, well, you know, it's not a requirement, um, but it is, you know, it's obedience to Christ, and he honors that. And, and so I get a text message, like, randomly, and it's him, and he invites me to his baptism, and I go, and it's a Calvary Reformed church and i was kind of thrown off because they said they there was a baby baptism but the the uh, preacher pastor says we know this isn't for salvation this is just more it it sounded the wording was more dedication so i was mm-hmm. curious is the calvary reformed church uh linked to chuck smith's church or i just was trying to understand the dynamics of that particular of that sh- church yeah, I, I can help you with that, Tanya. Now, they're not connected to Calvary Chapel at all. Uh, Calvary okay. is common in church names all over the country. Um, where they're coming from is is a Reformed perspective, and that gives you um, um, sort of a, 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 a look into what they believe. Of course, that would mean they were uh, Calvinist by nature. The eschatology of the Reformed church, depending on where you're from, jumps all over the place. Uh, and so, too, would their... Um, beliefs about things like infant baptism and um, um, liturgy and other things, but but uh, you know the Reformed churches are all over the spectrum, from from hardcore Calvinist churches to Presbyterian churches to 
to um, to some other uh, independent churches, but they're not connected to us at all. And doctrinally speaking, uh, wouldn't wouldn't would would have very little in common with what we believe at Calvary Chapel. Okay, I, I thought so. I thought something was a little off, and so I just wanted yep. to uh, verify, and, and, and I'll be able to minister to him uh, as well later on and just share with him some thoughts and uh, do some thought-provoking for him so he can kind of understand uh, my heart, right, when it comes to uh, the churches that we attend. So, all right, Papa, thank you so much. Thank I you. appreciate you. I love you so much. Appreciate you calling. God bless. God bless you, too. Let's go to San Antonio and Tom on line three. Tom, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Pastor Arba, how you doing, my good friend? I'm doing well, thank you. I, I, I don't mean to ask that. I know you probably get tired. How you doing? Okay. Anyway, um, I wanted to ask about this, uh, and I always, not always hear it, but sometimes I come across people that say they're slain in the spirit. And oh. I, I don't understand that. Can you can you kind of you know uh, talk about that a little bit and explain what is slain in the spirit because? I don't know what that means, really. <laughs> I, I can help, Tom. Thanks for calling. Um, being slain in the Spirit, first of all, is, a, is an unbiblical practice. You'll see it practice in these uh, sort of out-of-control charismatic churches. Uh, and the, 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 the sense there is that God has stunned them so with his power that they just fall out. Now, I've seen, Tom, instances where people would fall out and shake and sort of grind all over the floor. Other times where they would just fall down and, and, and be almost catatonic. Um, you can see it on some of the old TBN stuff. Uh, it's just a, a, a charismatic preacher who's pretending to have more power than others. And so he just knocks people over. There's nothing biblical about it. It is an exceptionally unhealthy practice. There is zero biblical support for the idea of being slain in the Spirit. When I say zero, I mean absolutely none. So this is just an out-of-control church, charismatic, uh, sort of like in Corinth, where Paul had to to, to write them and correct all of their excesses. Uh, But there's nothing healthy about it. There's nothing biblical about it. So if you run into a church where they're slaying people in the spirit, um, then then you're in a bad place. You know, Tom, I um, as a young believer, um, um, I'm in my first year of being saved, uh, Benny Hinn was doing. Um, I always say it's a concert; it can't be called a church service. Uh, at the Anaheim Convention Center, and it was just a few miles from where I worked. So um, um, I went, uh, you know, I didn't know from healthy, from unhealthy, good from bad. And, uh, you know, when people were coming up to get healed, he was just throwing his coat at him. He was throwing his hands at him and people were falling out all over the place. And all I could think about was, was why are they doing that? And that doesn't look right. And then he said, now there's probably 17,000 people in this, in this auditorium. And he said, uh, do you want some of that power? And, and the, the audience went wild. And so from one end of the auditorium to the other, he started throwing his hand and knocking whole sections of, 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 uh, of the people in the stands falling down. Now, as it was coming, it was sort of like a wave you see at a baseball game. As it was getting close to me, I, I remember saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to find out if this is real and I'm going to resist and see what happens. And so when he like threw his hand at, at uh, the section where I was seated, everybody went down. Not everybody, but most everybody went down. And I was holding myself up. And even though I was resisting, the power was real in that place. The power was real because I had to sort of steady myself to keep from falling. So I know the power is real. Here's the thing, Tom. The power is not from God. In a place like that, there's always another power, a demonic power, that's available. And when you see excesses like this, then you're not seeing the power of the Holy Spirit at all. God is a God of order. Uh, to, to worship the Lord out of order like that is disrespectful. Um, but the power is real. And whenever false doctrine is being taught, the enemy is always going to be there. So the power is real, 
but the process is not. So if you're talking to somebody who talks about being slain in the spirit, they're, they're in a, a very unhealthy church, uh, out of balance, and uh, they are very immature in their faith in Christ. Thanks for calling, Tom. Let's go to uh, Carlos calling on line one from San Antonio. Carlos, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Carlos. Thanks for calling. I just have a quick question for you. Um, what does it mean to uh, live uh, by the Spirit? I know I read it somewhere in uh, in, in some scripture. Um, I, I think the Apostle Paul had um, was saying something about that, like how to live in the Spirit. And I'll get your answer mm-hmm. on the radio. Okay, thank you, Carlos. Uh, Carlos said to have to live in the Spirit. Um, we, we are to, to always live in the Spirit of God. And Carlos, the way we do that is through obedience. As a believer, you know God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. That's Acts 5.32. We believe the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The Holy Spirit is, is the infinite power of God. And that power needs to be demonstrated through our lives. And as we're obedient, the Spirit is given in greater and greater power. And to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, simply means that we're walking in the will of God. We find out what that will is through obedience. We find out what that will is by, by renewing our minds in the Word of God. And then we walk in the Spirit of God. Now, Carlos, here's the way that you can know whether or not you're walking in the Spirit or living in the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If those things, Carlos, are demonstrated in your life, then you're living in the Spirit of God. The, the the opposite of living in the Spirit is living in the flesh or according to the flesh. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 tells you what that looks like as well. So to live in the Spirit, Carlos, simply means to walk with Jesus. Now, if you've been listening to this program, Carlos, you've heard me say over and over, just be with Jesus. And for me, and the simplest way to make anybody understand this, is that to live in the Spirit means that we're with Jesus. When we're with him, it's him living through us instead of us living. And the idea, Carlos, is that every day, in fact, all day every day, we should be walking in the Spirit. If we do something during the course of the day that, that quenches the Spirit, well, then we need to say, I'm sorry, Lord, and, and I don't want to do this again. And then the power of the Spirit comes back, and we can live in the power of that Spirit. Good question, Carlos. Thank you for taking the time to call. Let's go to Seguin now and talk with Tricia on line one. Tricia, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you. I have a question, and I'll, then I'll hang up and listen to it on the radio. Anyway, okay. I'm torn. We've got a family with seven kids in it. And my mother's 90 years old. My dad died 20 years ago. And she has just split the family. All the kids don't talk to each other anymore. There's just a bunch of lying that goes on in the family. And she, you know, will help one person that she's going to give them something and then turn around and give it to another person, another one of the children. And so none of the kids have anything to do with each other. And I'm torn between you're supposed to respect your elders and take care of your parents, but it's gotten to be such a toxic atmosphere at that house. You don't want to go over there and deal with it all. Yep. I understand it. Okay, I'll do the best I can. I'll do the best I can, Tricia. Thank you for calling in. I'm sorry you're having to deal with this. You know, honoring your parents does not mean letting them destroy a family. Honoring your parents does not mean letting them do anything and everything. And uh, I, I was I'm dealing with this with some people in our church. Um, as as parents grow old and um, and loss of memory and, and uh, uh, in, in some cases... Uh, they just grow older and more and more bitter, uh, and and the, the kind of effects that it has on on families is devastating. Um, I'm going to do the best I can to give you the balance between showing her love and honor and respect, and at the same time taking Hebrews' advice, throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
There are times when our family members create such a toxic environment, that, such as the one you described, that we have to sit them down. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that her mental capacity is, is adequate and that she can understand this. But at some point, you, you sit down and you just say, I, I cannot let you continue to destroy the family the way that's happening. You also need to bring your kids into the equation. You know, her, her behavior, however ungodly it is, does not give them the right to misrepresent Jesus, doesn't give them the right to live in their flesh. And so um, I think it, there's a time that comes when you've got to um, sit down with your mom and just tell her, we cannot let this continue. And if you continue to try to divide our family, then we're going to have to remove ourselves from your lives. Now, we'll still do the best we can to take care of you. We're your emergency contacts. We love you. We're going to be praying for you. But as long as she refuses to repent, change her behavior, um, remember that you have the responsibility. You and your husband have the responsibility to, to, to make sure your home is a godly environment and to let somebody in who's going to destroy um, the hearts of your children is certainly not something that a, a responsible parent would do. So at some point, a choice might have to be made. Uh, but what you should do in the meantime is everything you can to make sure your mom understands the effect she's having on the kids, understand the pain that she's causing, and then without getting angry, help her understand your frustrations. Mom, I love you. We want to care for you. However... We have to protect our children. We have to protect the godliness, the environment of our home. It's tough ground to navigate, Tricia, but um, it's really important that you do. You can't just hope it goes away. You can't just hope things change. These are times when you got to take a stand. You know, with a, a 90-year-old mom, and you didn't indicate whether she's a, a believer or not, but with a 90-year-old mom, the, 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 the time for putting off confrontation is rapidly fading away. And what we want to do is is rightly represent Christ. And the way you do that is to, to in love, but with firmness, correct her and give her the chance to recognize that what she's doing is wrong, it's sin, and then give her the opportunity to ask for forgiveness and see the power of God to change. Keep her in your prayers. Tricia, without more specific information, that's the best I can do. You know, um, I'm, I'm getting to that age, you know, where I, I don't want to be a burden on my kids, either here at the church or our kids, uh, our blood kids who are in California. Uh, and, you know, you just wonder, you see so many parents, they grow old and they grow bitter and they're set in their ways. And there are times we have to bring them into our own homes because they can't care for themselves. At the same time, we got to balance the, the, the atmosphere in our home. And these are just really, really hard things. They're really difficult things. These are the kind of things that make me long with more intensity for the return of Jesus. Tricia, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Bad stuff. Here is a question from Mick from our email inbox. He says, I know people who used to be pastors and pastors' wives, who loved the Lord with all their hearts, sacrificed many things in order to be in ministry, yet who have now joined that group of Christianity, and that's in quotation marks, who accepts the lifestyle of the LGBTQ community and defend it so fiercely that one might think that the LGBT community is a little G-God in their life. Judging by this fruit, would you say these people fall under the first John 2.19 category, obviously only God knows their hearts and we can't truly judge their salvation status, but I greatly struggle with this group of Christians who so fiercely defend sin and claim to be saved. John 2, now first John 2.19 is the verse where John says, and this is context is important. He's remembering John as he's writing this is remembering Judas. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going shown that none of them belonged to us. Now, Mick, what we have to do here is balance between judging. We can't do that. The heart of these people 
but also understanding and calling them to account for their um, um, turn from the, 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 the truth of the scriptures. Um, this is a problem that uh, is going to grow uh, as we await the arrival of Jesus. It's going to get worse and worse. Um, and you're right, uh, especially immature Christians, uh, Christians who aren't studying their word, not having their hearts washed with the water of the word, um, Christians who are uh, are led more by their feelings, their emotions, than they are by anything else, by the, by the truth of the word of God. Uh, there are people that look around and see the, the world so wholeheartedly embracing um, these aberrant lifestyles. And the truth is, they're won over. And Mick, here's what we need to understand, and this is true for you, it's true for me. Any one of us who falls away from the Word of God, if we if we start treating the Word of God like it's a book of suggestions, if we're not in it renewing our minds and hearts daily, then we too are going to be trapped by the world around us. And the world around us says, no, it's okay, God loves everybody, and they've completely forgotten the holiness of God, the justice of God. Now, whether or not they're saved is between them and God. But here's what I know for sure. I know some people who have come over because of public pressure, because of how it makes them feel emotionally. They've come over to the side of those who proclaim that this is a lifestyle that God will accept and even affirm. And I always remember Jesus' words. Anyone who makes one of my little ones stumble, it would be better for them that they would never have been born, that they would be thrown into the deepest, darkest ocean with a millstone tied around them. In other words, they're going to have a lot to answer for. And this is one of the reasons, Mick, that we have to be steadfast, lovingly, but firmly steadfast in our defense of Scripture. And here's what you'll find. Everybody who throws away those Scriptures that talk about God's heart towards this kind of sin. They've also thrown away the scriptures regarding certain sins in their life. They may not be gay, but at the same time, they've thrown away the word of God in other things as well. So this is a problem. I I say it all the time in our church here, that this is going to be the issue that the enemy uses to divide the church. And this will determine whether the church becomes more effective in these last days or whether the church turns to apostasy. Remember, the Bible says there's going to be 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's going to be a great falling away before the day the Lord comes for his church. And I believe, Mick, that we are in that day right now where that falling away has already begun. I also think, based on the word of God, that things aren't going to get better that things are going to get worse. Pray for them, talk to them, but never, ever stop telling them. That they're wrong in telling them the truth. Almost makes me cry to think about the people that have fallen away. Here's a question from Nacho from our mobile app. Could you explain Jesus' specific point in saying to buy from me in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. This is the church at Laodicea. Um, Jesus is saying, now remember, Laodicea was a wealthy church. Uh, they, they, they sold a, a, an ISAV that, that was almost miraculous, the, one of the things that they produced. Um, and, and this was a very wealthy church. And Jesus tells them, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth. And do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Now, Jesus is using a play on words. Their primary um, product, as I said, was this, this miraculous salve that worked for everything, but it was particularly something that was for the eyes. And since their job was selling it, Jesus is simply turning the tables on them and saying, no, don't, don't worry about selling your product. Buy from me the product I'm selling. When he says to buy gold refined in the fire, that's the idea of purification. 
you think you're okay, but you're not okay. You need to be purified. Uh, I want you to buy white clothes to wear. The white clothes scripturally speaks of the, 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 the fine white linen of the saints, the clothes of righteousness. And this church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church, is a church that that uh, is not concerned about righteousness or holiness. It's not concerned about purification. It's just a church that has fallen into a lukewarm state. Jesus tells them earlier that you make me sick. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And then he gives them the counsel. One of the great things about the seven letters to the churches in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3 is that Jesus never points out a deficiency without giving them the correction. It's very important. And the correction here, it's the same correction that I could use for a mixed question a moment ago. We need to counsel people to, to buy gold purified or refined in the fire. They need to buy white clothes. Forget, forget the clothes of this world. But instead, we need to counsel them to buy Jesus' word. So that's all he was talking about. It's not a literal transaction. It was just a play on words. They were successful selling their salve. And uh, what uh, Jesus is saying, no, 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 the way you're going to be rich, the way you're going to be um, righteous is to take my counsel, buy from me gold refined in the fire. And only God has that refined gold. Jesus is the only source. Thank you very, very much for the question, Nacho. Well, we are at the end of our program today. We've just inside of a minute left to go. Um, thank you for uh, praying for Paula and the pastor's wives who are together uh, one more night, and then tomorrow they'll be home. Um, we're praying that the Lord will really sort of shake them up a little bit and, and, and answer their questions and encourage their hearts. Um, Reuben and Seguin, we're praying for you. Don't forget, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You've been listening to The Word is Standing for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.